Welcome to episode 266 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Not too bad. Um, not much on the observing front to report. I did a little solar observing, but not much to, you know, really develop a, an observing report. Uh, surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of prominences uh, the, when I was looking, which was, it might've been after we recorded last week, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a few, but nothing. I, I think I'm getting spoiled by all of the recent, like huge prom- prominences and tons of activity that it just seemed a little mundane <laughs> that day, which is a, a bad perspective. I, I should just enjoy it no matter what is there, but uh, no nighttime observing for me. Um, just didn't work out the way my my week was. I was kind of busy in the evenings, actually, on a personal note. So that's oh. that. Yeah, just uh, engagements with family and such. So ah, okay, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing bad. Okay. But uh, well, how about you? How was your week? Good. Yeah, I got uh, a couple nights in. Not sure if you. I did a Mars sketch. Actually, I should have put it in uh, the the in ink the sketch. <laughs> What's that? Was it the ink one? Oh, no, the Jupiter one is what I'm thinking of, right? Oh, yeah, the Jupiter one. Yeah, I didn't put that in the notes either. But uh, yeah, I just dropped it in there now. I I did CC you on a reply to uh, a listener there. I did a Mm -hmm. sketch of Mars last uh, Monday morning. And uh, yeah, when I I observed it and did the sketch, I was um, a little skeptical. Like, I wasn't really certain of, uh, of this. So... This is that, I don't know, did I, did I tell you about this? This is like another new sketching process that I'm working on. Oh, well, tell me about it. I, I don't know if we've chatted about this one. I don't, I can't remember if we did either because yeah. I've, um, I think I might've just kind of mentioned it and there was sketch of Mars I did about a month ago and Mike uh, Gatto, who's a graphic designer that I know from the Halifax uh, RESE uh, Astronomy Center, um, Anyway, I always liked, really, really loved actually his Mars sketches. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that I like the most about them is they're they're more like true color, but uh, sort of more importantly for what I was going for is um, by using a combination of um, like your field sketches and then like the way I have to do like a good sketch. He's just able to take his field sketches, I think. Um and then putting it into software and then um, using what you annotate it, like, or at least what I annotate in my field sketches and incorporating those in to get more subtle details in like a more accurate portrayal, because um, by adding in like layering, you're able to put things in like um, different tones, right? So typically with Mars, if I have uh, like a dark feature, I just have my white paper, my circle or, or 90% circle. And then um, I'll just sort of scratch those in with graphite. If it's a polar cap, it's just a circle. Um, but then if it's a polar hood, which is like a cloud combination over like the, like the South Polar uh, cap these days, you can't really see this. You can't see the South Polar cap. Then it's just like a dotted line. And it, it becomes a real abstraction um, of what you're seeing, right? So you kind of need like uh, a key to actually look and then understand. And it's not really... Um, immediately apparent what what I was seeing. Mm. Um, so what I do is, or what I've been attempting to do is to do a series of sketches, like I did three sketches. And then I took the one that uh, sort of was the more interesting. And, and then I made a good copy. And then I sort of 
uh, scanned it in, colored it orange-ish to reflect the color I was seeing through my Mars filter. And then I added in like the North Polar cap, which I could see South Polar hood, and then like some limb um, haze or cloud or whatever. And I hadn't looked at any um, sketches prior to doing this, prior to doing my session at all. I just went out and sketched and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. It felt really sketchy. I don't know. Like it just, it's <laughs> not, uh, it, it, I was just kind of doubtful of what I was seeing and everything. And then um, Jerry Schmerkansky, who's an observer over in uh, Winnipeg, he's got a beautiful um, seven inch Mac Newtonian that he observe, observes with using a bino viewer. And he had done a sketch, uh, I think two or three days before, I think three days before, two days before. And his looked very different than mine. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, and he's like a way better observer than I am, at least when it comes to observing Mars and sketching it. And I was like, oh, I don't know about my sketch now. I feel really, and I had posted it and then he posted it. I was like, oh, this isn't so good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in the end, it, it looks like maybe some of the, uh, Hayes had cleared off the uh, northern polar hood and then yeah you could see like he captured the limb haze and the south polar hood and um, some of the other features but I was able to see like the Tharsis region and I I had read that there had been some there's a bit of a dust storm in some areas of Mars so it's not like totally dusted up but it may have been sort of obscuring one of the features that I saw that uh, he didn't put down and then some of his features were slightly different than mine just it, it's amazing how much Mars can change in just a just a few days maybe is what it uh, boils down to so it's kind of hard to compare your sketch to some somebody else's when they did it um you know several days out of out of your workflow so anyway yeah 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 interesting very interesting it's always neat to hear about these different styles and approaches yeah i think it looks really cool though i think my mars looks almost like if if the simpsons were going to mars i think it looks it looks very cartoon yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so, but I did, I did find a listener. I wrote him, but I didn't write back. Anyway, there was, a, I shouldn't say listener, um, a poster from cloudy nights. Um, somebody had posted uh, an image of Mars taken about two to three hours after I did my sketch. They're over like in, uh, on the West coast or close to the West coast of the U S so not too, too far from here, uh, global wise. And, uh, they had captured the North Polar cap. So I was concerned that I actually didn't see the cap that I had misinterpreted the hood, um, which is just like clouds around the, the polar region. But uh, it looked like that uh, a lot of the polar uh, cap or a lot of the polar hood had kind of like blown out or something um, between when Jerry had done his sketch and when, when I did mine. And uh, yeah, and then you could see like, I think it's called Chasma Borealis. And I, I was having trouble like getting almost seemed like I could see sort of like around the top of the cap. And I was like, man, that's really weird. But anyway, I kind of sketched it that way. And then, but it was kind of like blurring. And then when I looked at the images uh, that people had taken, you could see there was like the Chasma Borealis. So kind of, you could see kind of where it might sort of flip in and mask um, the other part of the uh, the cap. Anyway, sort of a bit rambly there, but uh, yeah, good, uh, good Mars uh, observation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then you were out, was it last night with Jupiter? Last night? Yeah. Yeah. So had, had a listener, you know what, I'm going to break with the thing and I'm going to scroll down. Yeah. I'm going to read Bob's email first. Okay. Is this actually, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I'm just going to highlight it in yellow. So we don't tread back over it, but um, we'd been talking about um, uh, moon transits on Jupiter, like the four bright Galilean moons that go across 
Jupiter and Castor um, shadows. And one of the things that I'd mentioned is I like watching these, but when we, uh, when we make up our data for the Observer's Handbook and the Observer's Calendar that I edit uh, and a lot of the other resources sources that you'll see online, um, they, we only often refer to the double shadow transits because they're a little bit more rare. Maybe they are more interesting, but um, for whatever reason, we seem to be going through like a bit of a drought. They seem to be hitting everywhere, but where we are, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment. And like, we haven't had one in a long time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, or if well, we have, it's been cloudy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah I, I've been kind of watching for them and then there was one, but it was just anyway. Um, and then the other thing is I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to <laughs> watching for them. So I get into my head that I want to see them, uh, see a shadow transit. And what this is, is uh, basically it's the, uh, the, it's like a lunar eclipse uh, going on on Jupiter. And it's when one of the moons comes between Jupiter and the sun and it casts like a nice, almost perfectly round um, shadow on the cloud tops of Jupiter. They're really, really neat to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do happen um, during certain periods quite frequently. And uh, you will just get like one shadow though. And so then uh, I was like trying to figure out, well, what's the best way to try to figure out if one's going on tonight and then I can just whip out and observe it. Um, but, uh, you know, just all the other resources were kind of not doing it for me for whatever reason. I was just kind of lazy. And, um, then a listener wrote, Bob, he sent us this app. I can't remember. It was either yesterday or the day before. It might've been the day before. And Bob wrote, he said, hi guys, just a quick note. Almost everyone has smartphones. If you want to check for the timing of shadow transits, there's a cool app called what else? The moons of Jupiter, its only function is to show the location of Jupiter's moons at any given moment and where and when the shadows and moons are transiting the disk. By the way, love your podcast, Bob. Yeah, so thanks for that, Bob. I went right away and downloaded that app. There is, and I went into the Google Play Store because I was on my Android tablet, and uh, there's two apps. There's one that kind of looks really basic. That's the one people want. There's another one that has like more of a fancy graphic called the moons of Jupiter. I don't know if they're related or something, but the second one, or maybe the second one is paid for or something, but the second one, I don't know, is like super graphical and blah, blah, blah. Uh, But it didn't really have much information other than a little bit of information about the moons of Jupiter. But the first one is what he described where it will show Jupiter as a little disc. And then you can see the moons around it. They're all like noted by um, their first initial. And then down below, you can kind of see like their orbital path and you can set like your time increments of a minute or 10 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, like what have you. It's all in UTC, which is the only thing that I was kind of like, but I was able to get that working. Anyway, that is a a great app. Did you uh, take a look at that one, Shane? Or Well, it's not, I don't think it's available on iOS if you're using an Apple device. So um, no, I did not because I I don't have any Android devices. Um, Ah. There's a number of other apps for iOS out there. I can't comment on any of them because I've never used them. Typically what I've just done in the past is um, just in Sky Safari. You know, if I want Mm. to look at Jupiter, I'll just zoom in using Sky Safari and it plots all of that there as well as the great red spot, you know, if it's transiting at the moment or or what. So, um, but sometimes these dedicated apps are just a lot quicker and easier. That's because, right. You know, Sky yeah. Safari, you got to center on Jupiter, then zoom That's in. That's right. There's a few more, a couple more steps, which it's not like 
it's not a showstopper, but when you're at the telescope, it's nice to be just a little more efficient. Yeah. So this, um, exactly as you described, I like it because it's just focused on that. So you fire it up, just make sure your time is set correctly and the, you, you got it right. Like if you're yeah. observing Jupiter, then you don't have to mess around with everything else. And then the other thing I find is like you said, with skyscraper, you have to center Jupiter and then zoom in. And if like, if you move it at all, like I'm just like, I, I was doing something else where I was trying to just take a look at the transit I was watching. Uh, anyway, not as good. Um, but I did, I did have a good look at the, um, at the transit of Europa mm. and I, I don't know where I put my sketching kit. So I've, I now have two sketching kits. <laughs> this is the downside of having both a graphite kit and, and these are very small kits, by the way, they're like 10 items that I keep in these, uh, identical canvas pouches that are super cheap on Amazon. And so I have one pouch with my graphite and I have one pouch with my uh, white uh, pastel and white charcoal. And I just had the white stuff out here. I was like, where's my, I guess I must've left it in the city. I didn't even know I took it to the city, but it must be in there because it's not out of mm -hmm. the cabin. The cabin's super small. So if it was here, I would find it. So I did a I did a sketch of Jupiter in ink, in just like somebody's uh, royal bank pen that they left here when I had a water <laughs> tank delivered. And uh, so anyway, uh, yeah. What did you think of of uh, a blue ink sketch of Jupiter? <laughs> well, my first thought was I I sure hope you didn't make any mistakes because that would be a lot harder to correct. <laughs> but uh, you know, all things considered, pretty good sketch. You know, like you, you can you can definitely see like the equatorial belts, but it's the Southern hemisphere. It looks like you've seen quite a bit of detail, um, yeah. which, yeah. you know, I've noticed that too recently that like that Southern hemisphere just seems to have a lot more individual cloud banding and, and detail that you can make out. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was a good sketch. You know, yeah. Overall, so the, even given yeah, your limitations. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the moon shadow was, um, on the next band, just below the six, south equatorial band and the North equatorial band, if I'm getting this right, had these two, uh, dominant like barges or something like these two dark spots. And then, um, yeah, there's another thicker band just below. So this would be, uh, there's the band just below the South Equatorial band, which is the fainter of the two bands on uh, on the central disk of Jupiter. And then there's a band, like a thin band just below the South Equatorial band. And then there's a slightly thicker, uh, maybe a little bit darker band below that. And then there was a really thick but very faint band, um, a pretty thick, um, rather dark band. And then at the very bottom, there was almost like a polar uh, band of of some sort. So... Yeah, I was able to see like two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve bands on Jupiter, and then there's some detail in between. I saw some detail in the equatorial uh, uh, zone as well there between the two uh, equatorial bands. So, so yeah. So, have you watched many of these shadow transits? Um, yeah, yeah, I have in the past. I haven't seen one now. Probably, I think since last season. I have not seen one this year. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I've seen a number of them. I, I love watching them again. I have said it many times. I really enjoy like any sort of motion that you can observe in real time. Um, and our solar system provides an awful lot of that. And, you know, in particular, the Jupiter Galilean moon system, either watching the moons, you know, transit the planet or watching these, uh, these shadows as they go across is super cool. 
Did you ever see any of the moons in front of Jupiter? Um, I can't say I've visually ID'd them. Like I've known that they're there because the software yeah. is telling me that. But um, once I think I saw, I forget which one it was. It, I think it might've been Ganymede. Um, just as it was um, leaving like the disk of uh, Jupiter um, mm -hmm. from in front. And then, you know, it became very apparent. And I, I, you know, I believe I was able to see it, but those they're so small and they just blend in with, with the disc. Uh, how about you? Yeah. So I, I think I may have a couple times before, but like you said, my observations were more like that, but last night had, and I didn't, uh, I did sketch this, but I didn't send it. Cause you know, kind of referring back to what you said, if you make any mistakes, you're screwed in the ink. And I, and I did, and kind of have to uh, change my, my sketch, but I'm going to do a good copy of this. But the, the, uh, I was going to say planet, but the, uh, the moon Europa, whose shadow I was watching, mm -hmm. um, the moon itself actually went across the next band down that was uh, wider and darker. Mm. And I got it up for about 10 minutes before it exited the disc. Oh, that's pretty neat. Well, that would give you the contrast needed. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's against a back or like a darker band. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. The, the the moon itself would really pop yeah so that band is pretty thick and mm -hmm. and wide and i had never even thought about i i think when i'd seen it before i think i was using a binary viewer in like a 10 or a 12 inch um schmacassagrain and it was kind of like it wasn't really that well defined but last night it just popped and it looked like this tiny white little marble it just was, and it like, and it was easy to see, even like as I as the scene came and went. Like I, I never lost sight of it after I had it. It was always, it was always steadily there, and I even focused and messed up my focus for a few seconds. And uh, I could even see it even when I had the scope out of focus. It was, it was in focus, or not in focus, but you could see it against that. It was so, um, such a divergence from from that uh, band. It was pr pretty cool. I've never seen it that well. And uh, yeah, I was using like hundred and just under 150 power. And to me, it looked almost like it was, uh, like I said, this totally round, sort of almost like eggshell colored. You know, you could really see okay. like a difference in color between um, the moon and, uh, you know, and the, and the white area of, uh, of the, you know, the, uh, area between these two bands on, on Jupiter, you could really see like a pretty big difference in, in the color there. It was, it was really cool. I had never seen that before. Uh, not like that anyway, and definitely mm -hmm. wasn't expecting to see it. it was kind of one of those things where I was, I was observing and observing. I was going to actually stop observing. And then I was like, what is that? <laughs> At first I thought it was just like an oval on the, on the edge of the band. And then like within 30 seconds, to just like, oh, maybe I should sketch that. I was like, oh, wow, that's actually the moon. You could see it like transit onto the band. And then I watched it as it went all the way to the edge. And then and then uh, it kind of like seemed to hang on the edge for a long time. So I had it, but I, I had it, like I said, for about 10 minutes before it got anywhere near the edge. Like it was, I'm going to say it was about five or five or six moon diameters from the edge. It was pretty far from the edge. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, I watched it go right to the edge. And then it was almost like it just kind of sat on the 
the limb for it seemed like forever, almost almost created like a bit of a distortion, like when you were looking at it, and then uh, it kind of exited off. But when it was in front of Jupiter, it was it was more like this paler color. Like usually the moons are just they seem just bright, and and then as as it fully exited, once it was right off the edge, and even when it was close to the edge, you could still kind of get the sense that it was this um, this marble, and then once it was right off the edge into black space again it just kind of was sort of that more brilliant color without the the sort of contrast of the of the planet to tone it down in the background so yeah i was yeah i was really shocked because i think if you're seeing it against um jupiter itself then you are seeing you know you're seeing that disc of uh, uh of of the moon and i sort of switch moon to planet because it's sort of one of those things where they're they're almost more like uh, planets than moons i i think uh those four big ones around Jupiter anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. And you were using the, the four inch refractor. Yeah. The four inch tack. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, just, nice. yeah. Yeah. Just like the sharpness on it is like, I mean, I've seen, you know, transits before, but just like how circular and dark that disc is like, it's, it's pretty wild in, in the tack, how, uh, how sharp and clear those things, uh, how sharp and clear they appear compared to other instruments that I've owned and used. It's just, uh, you know, that, uh, that tack hundred DC, it's just like made for observing the planets. It's good on the deep sky, but I could, I could easily take my five inch, um, Borg over, over it for deep sky. I think it, you know, just that extra inch of aperture really does something, but mm -hmm. I find on the planets, it's just like they tune that scope for the planets. So. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do work well. Like to me, it's almost the perfect balance of, uh, collecting just the right amount of light and not too much. Um, and then, yeah, just crystal clear image, you know, if the atmosphere will allow it, which, you know, allows you to see a ton of detail on the planets. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. That's a really good observation. Yeah. So, uh, had a chat with, uh, Jim, uh, he sent us, uh, he sent me an email actually, uh, shall I just read it here really quick? And then, sure. yep. yeah. So, uh, Jim said, hi, Chris, as I listened to the podcast this morning, so this was earlier in the week, I was happy to hear you've had some success with sketching the witch head nebula. Um, I have tried, but not yet succeeded capturing this one yet. And, uh, it is on my list to try again this winter. Since you also mentioned observing Lambda Orionis, that's like this big, huge nebulae that's around um, the head of, of Orion. Uh, Jim says, I thought you might also like this monochrome image of Sharpless 2-264, um, which includes this region. And then, uh, so he sent me this uh, beautiful um, four panel mosaic from his 50 millimeter refractor uh, and 11 hours of exposure using a dual narrowband filter. So it's a really, really cool mono uh, chrome image of, uh, of this area. And then um, Jim says uh, he appreciates the astronomical pun contest. And uh, he actually went out and bought a copy of Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders. I really wish Jim had just sent us a pun. We could have been sending him a book. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, he also sent me uh, a copy of a color uh, image of... Uh, of the Sharpless 2-264 region there at the head of uh, Lambda Orionis or the head of Orion um, in like beautiful sort of pinky red. Yeah, really, really neat, uh, neat images. And uh, yeah, he and I went back and forth quite a bit and, and we're talking about it. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely appreciate that. Thanks so much for writing, Jim. It's really cool to kind of do an observation and then get somebody's images um, of, uh, of what I was observing. 
yeah, that's uh, that's really neat. Yeah, anybody else out there is doing that, uh, definitely appreciate uh, hearing from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to read uh, Eric's email there? Yeah. So Eric uh, said, hey, Chris and Shane. Um, and, um, you know, I should probably just qualify that uh, Eric is somebody who we correspond with pretty regularly from Calgary and um, always enjoy hearing from him. So he said, I wanted to share this fun observation from a couple of nights ago, uh, watching the moon occult Uranus. Uh, this is so cool. I've never actually watched a lunar occultation of a planet before. Uh, a few of us went out to our observatory to watch the event. Um, as the moon approached Uranus, I couldn't believe how quickly the moon was moving relative to the planet, especially in those last two or three minutes right before contact. Uh, at high power, it appeared as though Uranus uh, could be a lunar hot air balloon uh, coming in for a landing upon the surface of the moon. Uh, the seeing was not very good this night, and the air was quite unstable, and the views were boiling pretty intensely. Uh, but we were still able to maintain a visual lock on Uranus until it was just a few arc seconds east of the limb of the moon. Uh, a friend had his 15 by 70 binoculars uh, set up on a tripod, and incredibly, we could still see Uranus even when it was only around three to four arc minutes away from the moon. The intense glare of the moon combined with quite terrible seeing conditions meant that we lost sight of Uranus once it got within a few arc seconds of the limb. The actual moment of disappearance could not be observed because at some point it was engulfed by the boiling rim of the moon. Uh, once it was gone, we went inside to warm up. It was actually feeling pretty chilly, getting close to zero degrees Celsius. Uh, I think we are getting spoiled by this incredibly warm October. Uh, I can relate to that, Chris, because the recent temperatures, which were really not cold relative to what it should be this time of the year, sure felt cold. Yeah. 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 Um, Eric goes on to say, uh, only an hour later, uh, in moments before reappearance, intermittent clouds were flirting with the moon, popping in and out of visibility. We were screaming at the sky. Come on, clouds, get out of here. Uh, I watched our observatory's C-14, or sorry, I watched through our observatory's C-14 at 162 times magnification. Incredibly, at the time predicted by Sky Safari to the very second, boom, uh, Uranus slid back into view, coming out from behind the dark limb of the moon. That was so cool. Uh, the moon was still very close to full, around 94% illuminated. As a result, the lunar landscape was still in the same field of view as Uranus, but because it was now the terminator that was in the field of view, the moon was much less bright and therefore Uranus st stood out prominently. I'm so glad we lucked out and dodged those clouds. It was fully overcast in the city, so no one else saw it if they didn't go out for a drive. Uh, we were right under the edge of the cloud band at our observatory. It was well worth the drive. I'm loving the podcast. It's such a blast. Keep it up from Eric. Cool. Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much, Eric. Appreciate that. Yeah. Good it's night. a, it's a super neat observation. And I, I liked his comment too, about just how, how quick, you know, the, the, the kind of the event happened in particular, like the last minute to three minutes, you know, as Uranus was approaching the moon. And, uh, I had the same feeling when I was watching the solar eclipse, uh, of 2017, it, it just seemed to take forever for the moon to slowly, you know, cast a shadow across the sun. And, um, but that last couple of minutes, it just seemed to zip by all of a sudden it was, uh, mm -hmm. it was kind of funny. Yeah. There's going to be a uh, occultation of Mars actually on the night of opposition there on December 8th, I believe. Okay. 
for those uh, for those keeping count. Yeah, good to know. All right, shall I read Ben's uh, risky observing session report? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, this was great. Yeah, this is good. Um, yeah, so Ben writes, "Hi, Chris and Shane. Thanks for continuing to be my vicarious observing buddies on the other side of the globe." So Ben is in Australia, and he doesn't live anywhere near any other observers. And uh, that's not uncommon for our listeners. So it's kind of cool that, you know, then we're all able to sort of connect uh, this way, sort of an unexpected thing, but it's really cool. And then as well, because uh, some folks like Ben are in the Southern Hemisphere, then we got a really great uh, Southern Hemispheric uh, perspective. Ben goes on to say, I I wrote to you in June this year and shared an observing experience through a 24 inch daub that quote unquote ruined me. And uh, since then, he drove 3,400 kilometers to acquire a custom-built 20-inch of similar focal length. And he says, it has been cloudy ever since. <laughs> yeah, sounds right. We're not laughing at you. We're laughing with you. Yes. yes. For sure. <laughs> for sure. This time, I want to share a story with you about how I recently experienced the wonderful sense of astronomy brotherhood with a like-minded stranger in another country this this could be on a halloween episode i recently returned from a trip to new zealand a special place with vast amounts of pure dark skies my family and i travel there every september it is a, it is as it is our nirvana and escape from the hustle and bustle although i'd love to squeeze a small travel scope into the suitcase kids and other commitments just won't allow for it the best i can manage is a pair of 10 by 50 binoculars a DSL camera, and a few lenses. While I enjoy this, it can only go so far in satisfying the astronomy itch when under such perfect skies. In the past, I have included astronomy tours in the itinerary at locations like the University of Canterbury, Mount John Observatory, at Lake Tekapo, and uh, these are great, but have very generic content and are geared towards high turnover tourists with little to no observing experience. This year, I wanted something a little more personal, and so spent some time seeking out a tour for small groups. I found a tour online, but never heard back from my inquiry. One afternoon, I was standing in a park while my kids played and ended up talking to another dad. I mentioned the Star Tour and asked if he knew who ran it. He told me that the tour hadn't run for a few years, then pulled out his phone and started speaking to someone about me and how I wanted to go stargazing. He then handed me his phone, and I began talking to a gentleman about observing that night. (laughs) Not sketchy at all. He said he had never done private tours, but if I wanted to come look through a scope, he was open to the idea. I was very confused, to say the least, as to what had happened, but I handed up with some verbal directions to a farm and a meeting time of 8.30. So I was faced with leaving an unfamiliar town and driving in an unknown country to an unknown location to meet an unknown person on a new moon night, no GPS and no international roaming but I felt obligated to follow through on the offer. For some strange reason, my wife refused to accompany me with the kids, stating she did not want to be associated with the night of the Tanawanu murders. So yeah, she was like, yeah, we're not doing this. You're going alone. I grabbed the car keys and headed off. What could possibly go wrong? After a few wrong turns, I eventually uh, found the driveway to the property. It had the features of the classic horror movie, but clear skies and a new moon gave me the courage I needed. I was met by Peter and his wife. After a quick exchange, he was keen to take me out the back. Gulp. <laughs> as I rounded the garden. I really want to put as I rounded the back of the shed. <laughs> as I rounded the garden, I was met with the sight of a proper observatory and a beautiful 18-inch classic uh, obsession Dobsonian. Set up and ready to go. Peter and I enjoyed all the splendors of a very dark, very clear, 
very southern sky. We observed for about two and a half hours before the dew had us beaten. The visual highlights for me uh, were twofold. The stunning 18-inch obsession I wanted to observe through an obsession for years, and the scope was splendid. The other was the tarantula nebula that had nebulous tendrils that just kept keep, keep go- they just kept going. Jupiter was at opposition and looked great too. The other highlight was the generosity of both the dad from the park and Peter. It is becoming a rare thing to find people who are trusting of strangers and who are giving of themselves to help others. Sadly, Peter said that in the 10 years he has had the scope, he managed to attract very few to join him at the eyepiece. I think he enjoyed the night as much as me as we marveled at the sky and exchanged stories about our Dobsonians. I can only hope that the experience was reflective of the broader amateur astronomy fraternity and that similar experiences are shared across the world. Maybe I'm just naive and gullible, but uh, it definitely was an unexpected highlight of my trip. Anyway, thanks for listening. So, yeah, I mean, I've had more of these experiences than many. (laughs) I've done this sort of stuff quite a few times. Uh, Not sure about you, Shane. Um, Just once when I was in uh, Hawaii, uh, I had reached out to the local astronomy club there prior to, uh, to getting to the Island and inquired about maybe observing with some of the locals, just because I wouldn't be able to bring anything of great aperture. And, uh, one of the gentlemen in the club replied to me and said, yeah, you know, here's my name and number. Just give me a call when you're here. And I think he had a 20 inch reflector or something like that. It was pretty big. So anyway, uh, when I got there, I reached out to him and he said, Oh, well, kind of good news, bad news. Uh, bad news is I'm not at home this week. Good news is the telescope's just in the front yard. Mm. Uh, help yourself. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it didn't work out for me to actually make that vo- uh, voyage over there. It was about an hour away. Um, but, you know, just the friendliness, right? And the trusting, yeah. like this person had never seen my face before and was like basically, you know, turning over the keys to the kingdom there <laughs> to let me observe, which I thought was quite a, a and, you know, just a great gesture and I really appreciated it. Yeah, I think uh, when I was going to Hawaii, I, I had chatted to a few amateurs and, uh, and made contact with somebody and and very similar to to Peter or to the experience that Ben had with Peter here. Um, but I actually, if anybody's been on Haleakala, which is the volcano on Maui, um, there are observatories sort of on the other side. This is like, and I had talked to another observer who had gone and said that if you're if you're going to Hawaii, this can be um, an easier place to get up and observe, and because you can get right up on top of the mountain, which is only ten thousand feet, versus on the big island where, where it's difficult to observe on top of the mountain. But anyway, um, and yeah, I had to meet somebody at like five minutes before three o'clock, not five minutes after, not three o'clock. And anyway, go through this whole ring roll. And I did. And I went up and met somebody and there were like armed guards and <laughs> it was pretty sketchy. But anyway, went through the whole rigmarole. But yeah, just haven't moved around and lived in different places. And and gone to different star parties and places. Yeah, I've met uh, a lot of strangers on on back roads. You know, where do you guys observe here? Oh, well, you know, sometimes you just show up at a club and the people who observe sometimes don't go to the club meetings and you'll just get an email address or a name and say, hey, I'm I'm an observer. I'm new to the area. And they'll say, yeah, meet us on a rail. I remember I had a, had a friend. He became a good friend, but he was like, yeah, we observe on a railroad track. So... <laughs> Good luck finding that. Like it's not on a map, right? So mm-hmm. they give you like these loose directions and then 
you're driving down like an abandoned railroad track that's had the the rails and ties pulled off it at like uh you know after sunset in the dark and <laughs> it's yeah pretty sketchy experience so anyway ben also wrote uh he gave us a pun we're having a pun contest um joke contest if you will uh uh, pun contest uh, to win a copy of Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders as donated by another listener, a local listener named uh, Jim. Uh, so this is the uh, first entry. Hopefully we get more. We haven't had, we've only had the one full entry, I think. Um, yeah. Ben writes, uh, did you want to read this? Yeah. Why don't you read this? I've talked to him. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so hi guys, here's a pun for a chance to win the book. It's an oldie that I love. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson go on a camping trip, set up their tent and fall asleep. Some hours later, Holmes wakes up his, or wakes his faithful friend and says, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replies, I see millions of stars. Uh, what does that tell you? Uh, Watson ponders for a minute. Uh, astronomically speaking, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Time-wise, it appears to be approximately a quarter past three. Uh, meteorologically, it seems we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes is silent for a moment, then speaks. Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> <laughs> kind regards, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard that one before. It's good. Yeah, that yeah, is good. And uh, just a reminder, so we are running this pun uh, contest, I guess, if you will. Uh, you have until November 5th to submit your puns. And then uh, the November 7th episode, we will uh, we'll pick a winner and let everybody know. Yeah, sounds good. And if, uh, yeah, if Ben is the only one, then he can look forward to get a copy of this book, the contest of one. But uh yeah, we will send it out to uh, to the winner. Thanks uh, again, Ben, and thanks to uh, our our local uh, listener Jim for for listening. We appreciate that, and uh, yeah, Jim and I are actually gonna we were gonna try to get together and observe this week, but uh, the clouds were not uh, cooperative when it was uh, clear. It was kind of late. All right, anything else, Shane, to add to this episode? No, Chris, that is all. All right, well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to send us in your puns to actualastronomy at gmail.com or if you just want to uh to get in touch and send us your observations that's great too all right thanks everybody we'll talk to you soon thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you are interested in more information would like to contact us or if you would like to support the podcast check out our website actualastronomy.com <laughs>